you here. Go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. Searching for clues to discover God's mysterious plan for your family? Then don't change that dial. Join us now in our discussion of the mystery of parenthood. Here are your hosts, Trey and Stephanie Cashin. Good morning. Uh, this is Mystery of Parenthood. We uh, we are live today, which is which has not been normally the case. It's me and Thaddeus. Um, Steph was unable to make it, but Thaddeus, glad you're here with us. And good morning, Trey. Good to see you, man. Always good to see you. Um, let's begin with uh, with our prayer, and then um, we'll get the ball rolling. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, from you every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you who is life, truth, and love with the Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. St. John Paul II, pray Pray for for us. us. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray pray for for us. us. All right. So, yeah, um, we're... We're here, and Thaddeus came up. He he showed me an article out of First Things that I, I love the title. <laughs> I, knew, I knew you would love the title. Yeah, because because for anybody that's listened for very long, you know the title of this article is called uh, "Sacramental Realism," and I think it points to something that I think is at the heart of the gospel, at the heart of what it means to be truly Christian, fully Christian. And it's also at the heart of many of the problems that we have today. And in fact, the article kind of revolves around the difficulty that we have between the visible and the invisible, you know, the, the physical and the immaterial, I guess. Right. And I don't know if that's the right word, but the, the stuff that you can touch, punch, smell, taste versus the things that we know are out there that we can't sense with our with our with our human senses that we can't see and every you know we we talk about this at every sunday we say the creed you know we believe in the visible and the invisible um both of those are critical and i think the difficulty is is that for certainly for centuries <laughs> Historically, we've we've had the issue of um, kind of the separation between that which can be measured, sensed, tasted, you know, tasted, touched, weighed, whatever, and ideas, thoughts, concepts. To be truly Christian is to really believe who Christ was, and Christ was the Word. <laughs> made flesh he he is god who has taken on and assumed the fullness of humanity as well 100 percent god 100 percent man right. that's difficult to understand anybody that says they fully grasp it other you know and, and and fully can wrap their mind around the fact that that a divine being would have it's infinite a, yeah infinite would would share that divinity not eat not like 50 50 with with a human person but actually be 100 percent god and 100 percent man 
that's the difficulty that I think we face in all of this, in the sacramental realism. And what we're facing now in this article points to is the difficulty with how do we, how do we um, bring those two things together in a world that seems to be continually more and more confused by that and tempted, I think, to say the answer is somehow to separate the two, to, I mean, because at the heart of many of our issues is the idea that what is measurable, visible, um, tangible is one thing, but what we think, what we feel, what we are (laughs) is something completely distinct and not even related to that frequently. I think that's where you get into the, you get into the issue of, of, I heard somebody saying that today on like the Patrick Madrid show talking about that, that, that a, a mother had been talking to her daughter who had a friend who couldn't decide whether she was a male or a female. And so she, and it changed from day to day and someday she didn't feel like either. So she just wanted to be called they instead of he or, <laughs> or she that that confusion um is i think built into or flows from this idea that we can take okay here's the reality what can be measured <laughs> here's your dna here's here's here are your chromosomes here are your body parts and then here are <laughs> what i think I, and what i feel and if those don't disagree, the best way to do it is just separate them and say, okay, well, that may be true. You can measure this, but that's not and has nothing to do with who I am. That's confusing for anybody. Um, and I think that's where, you know, that's at the core. That may be a little bit. Yeah. More. And I think it's it's also based on, um, it seems like that's kind of connected to an idea of the soul, body, Right separation that we have our physical body and then our our soul is somehow floating around. Right, and there. we have to reca- and we have to recapture the fact not, that's, not, that's it. not it. The body and the soul are meant to be and are in fact. I mean, technically speaking, without getting too theologically as I understand it, <laughs> when the soul leaves, the body, as understood by when Christ says, "This is my body," the body of a human is the entirety of the person, not just, not just the stuff we can touch, feel. It's the, the entire integrated whole of a person. When a, when a soul leaves a body, death occurs to the, to the matter. The matter is no longer, not to the, not to the person, but we're meant to be that integrated. It's no longer animated. It's no longer animated. It's no longer, right. That Latin word anima, which is soul. soul. Right. It's no longer animated. It's no longer alive. And it therefore, in most cases is, you know, deteriorates over time. We as Christians believe that the resurrection means that that particularly, the belief I went to a funeral yesterday and, and, you know, the reading was, uh, about Lazarus being brought back to life. And the, the talk was that, you know, if you believe me, no, you, you no longer die and we don't die. We continue to exist. God is the God of the living as as Jesus talks about when, when people are trying to say, you know, Abraham and Isaac, he's saying they're, you know, Abraham and Isaac are still alive. He's saying they're still alive. They just bodily aren't here. We're meant to be this integrated whole. And in fact, when Jesus comes again, we will be resurrected and reunited with the exact same matter that we have, but then glorified. That's what the resurrection is. So, the only time that we should separate and really the worst thing that, that has happened as a result of sin is, is death. <laughs> and that is when the soul is removed from the body, which is, is, is really an, not the way God intended it. It was the impact of the fall, the impact of our sinfulness that causes that. So there's in a sense, and I hadn't really thought about this, so forgive me if it, it is, is that, we're actually 
in separating them to two is part of that a culture of death because that ultimately is death. We're meant right. to be this integrated whole soul body composite, right. a person who could be called a body. And we're going to have Monica Ashour again. We're we're, we're going to have her. She'll be on next on next Tuesday if all, if all goes as God plans, and we can talk even more about this because this is right at the heart of what she is saying and at the heart of John Paul II's theology of the body and really at the heart of what it means to understand the incarnation for what it is God became man and then walked lived suffered died was buried and then rose again is his in his humanity is to show us and reveal to us what it means to be human, what is what is intended. And the end is is for this reunification. That's what he that's the great news is that he in his humanity is seated at the right hand of God the Father, as we say that as well. And that that is part of the promise to us in the end is is that but we have to figure out how to reunite the two, and it's like many things. We try to simple. If we try to simplify, in other words, if we're trying to accomplish something that that is indeed good for people to be back in communion with the church, you know, for people to be welcomed back, that's that is good. But that has to be coupled with an understanding truly of what is going on in the Eucharist, what is going on in marriage, what is going on in the sacraments, because remember the sacraments are (laughs) visible signs of visible, of invisible realities instituted by Christ to confer grace, but that bringing together of the visible and invisible God and man, um, is what it means to be, is reveals to us what it means to be human. And so sometimes that's tough. Sometimes, sometimes it's difficult to make them work together. And if we've strayed enough individually, it, as a result of our sins, if we've strayed enough, it's hard to get back in line. It's difficult to do that. That's why sacraments confer grace. That's why it's so important to understand that. But but God's grace is not bound by the sacraments. And I think sometimes it's just we get into a situation where it's so difficult, it's so hard to understand how everything can be rectified that we tend to kind of go the way of our culture and say, well, the best answer may be to just de-emphasize the material and what it really is and kind of separate the two ever so slightly in order that we can kind of get around and get to this good. And that's all very generic right now, and hopefully we can talk about it. But we have to help as parents. Um, you're the one that picked the article, and, and, I, and I liked your thoughts on, the, on what we wanted to kind of focus on, and so I'll let you kind of lead it. But, but I think this gives us a context of kind of where we are And what I love about it, because to be Catholic, as one of my professors said, is to be punchable, (laughs) is to to have our spirituality tied intricately to, to be integrated fully with um, our humanity, our bodies, and not really to have a separate a separate understanding. When Jesus said, "This is my body," he wasn't saying, "This is the the matter which I have." He was saying, "This is the entirety of who I am." So we define that when we say, "We say so that because we live in this kind of culture that doesn't understand that." We say, "I offer you the body, blood, soul, body, blood, soul being his humanity and divinity." of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You know, that's that's our offering to God. But when Jesus said, this is my body, all of that would have been included, particularly if they knew he was God, which they did. So they would have, when he said, this is my body, they would have understood it was his body, his blood, his soul, and his divinity. 
Because it, to say this is my body, it's the entirety of who I am, everything that I am when I say my body. We've lost that. Um, part of it is I understand, I mean, from years ago is, is I think some Cartesians, you know, way of looking at it that, that, that did try to separate and say, okay, the church, you're really good on the spiritual matters, basically the invisible, why don't you handle that? And then let science be the managers of what it can measure. And it was just never meant to be that dichotomy. It was yeah. never meant to be the split. So anyway, I've rambled, but, <laughs> but, uh, um, so the, the article is sacramental realism and it's by, um, R.R. Reno, who's the editor of first things. And he, um, he actually ends the, the piece with this, um, statement. He, Christ, he comes to us in the flesh. We follow him in the flesh. And if you go back through the scriptures, I'm just going off the top of my head here. Um, in Matthew's gospel, uh, Christ says that on the last day, there's going to be the separation of the, the sheep and the goats, and that uh, if you perform the corporal works of mercy, that's going to be an indicator that those are the ones who followed him. The ones who so so there you are you're you're living out your Christian commitment in the flesh by how you love your neighbor right right he's telling his apostles that you're to hold some you're you're to hold what's uh, sins bound and unbound on earth and if you do that they're going to be bound and unbound in heaven so you're supposed to point out sins and and forgive sins. Right, you're supposed to. Um, he wants the. He tells. He tells the crowds, the disciples in uh, John's gospel, and correct me if I'm, you know, making no, no, a hash, no, a hash no, of anything. No, no. Um, he tells the his disciples in John's gospel that if you don't eat my my body and drink my blood, you won't have life within you. Right, you won't be my follower, and. There was a whole group of them that walked away from that that teaching, but he's telling you it, what you do with your body, how you live out in the world, makes a difference and points to uh, how you follow me. And so that and uh, so that's a good place to start with. Oh, I, I, how I, he ends the article. I do, and he, and throughout he kind of points to something that we as Christian, we as Catholics, need to say how radical our belief is in in the love of god and the power of god that he that he would humble himself to to live among us is one thing but that he would also entrust <laughs> to men and women who are not jesus himself those powers is a radical almost it, from a human perspective, you would say almost reckless mm -hmm. uh, love of God. There's that you know the overwhelming, all-consuming, reckless love of God is a is a song that's out there right now. I think we as Catholics need to recapture. It's not just about following the rules. It's it's about believing that God is so powerful and He is so loving that He is able to entrust to you and me. In our parenthood, for example, what he entrusts to Peter and all the apostles throughout his own family, two people who we know are fallen. I mean, if we're the domestic church, if each one of us is a domestic church, anybody who's honest and who takes seriously what they're doing has momentary thoughts of, does God know what he's doing having entrusted these wonderful children to me has he seen my temper has he seen my inability to control my own passions has he seen you know that and the answer is yes <laughs> he has but he still entrusts it to us that does not mean that he doesn't demand something from us in return and that's where we get into the sacrament of understanding that it's not only a sign of an invisible reality, it is 
the objective grace that's given to us. And I think he actually mentions that as well. That, that the grace allows us to accomplish that which the sacrament or, or Christ accomplishes in and through the sacrament what it signifies. And what it signifies is brought about by how we do things externally. We are meant to live in this world. It's why matter matters. And the stuff that matters today, going to work, doing this show, taking care of a sick kid, changing a diaper, all that matters because Jesus became one of us. And so he worked, he played, he cried, he fell, he, he did everything that human did. He did mundane things every day. Well, he reveals to us that matter matters, that what we deal with every day matters. I think that's so critical to it. It's not something we try to distance ourselves from. The, the truest of spiritualities is always one that says, whatever the duty is that God's calling me, that's what I'm meant to do right now. And I meant to do it well, no matter how mundane it may seem, no matter how meaningless, with air quotes, it may seem. Um, it's not that. And that God is working in and through um, the very ordinary. And thank God most of my life is ordinary, right? I mean... Right. <laughs> I mean, if it had to be all extraordinary, then I would definitely feel like God was not around. So anyway, the flesh matters. What we do matters. And like you said, I think it's really important. I think St. Augustine, don't quote me on that, but I think St. Augustine in talking to his, in a homily that he gave years ago, talks about, you know, he didn't, he didn't at the last judgment in Matthew 25 say, hey, you you were good and you didn't lie and you didn't cheat and you didn't steal. He he says you didn't feed me, you didn't comfort me, you didn't clothe me. And like you said, that points us to our love, which is I guess invisible. I mean, you can't grab love. But you certainly know what it is when it happens. It's to give our life away. And when we do that, it is done in and through our bodies in things that matter, pun intended. <laughs> it's meant in the stuff that we do every day with the things that we hold, the things that we manipulate, the things that we change, the things that we have an impact on. Um, it's meant in and through our actions and words, in and through our flesh. So, yeah, anyway, exactly. Is that is that what you were getting? At? I think that, I, I think it's good to to go then on to a another paragraph of the article, and he's he's talking about how one of the things that the sacraments do is that they communicate, um, they continue on through time in the world in a, in a real way, God's love for his, his people. And I'm going to read from, from the article here. Uh, years ago, while studying the Council of Trent, the authoritative Catholic response to the Reformation, I came to see that the Council mirrored back to Protestants their most potent charge, which is that Catholics rely on their own, quote, works rather than trusting in the promise of Christ. The fathers at Trent did not dispute the solus Christus, Christ alone, premise of the Reformation. Instead, the Tridentine response chides Protestantism for limiting the power of God's love. When Jesus says to his followers, I will be with you until the end of the age, he meant to be true to that promise. The visible church and her sacramental system incarnate Christ anew. This is why Catholics often use the word church, where Protestants typically say Christ. And I think that's really 
um, fascinating, good insight onto why Catholicism uh, rests so much on the the sacraments. The sacramental system is so important. Making your making your sacraments is essential to living the the Catholic life and believing in the efficacy of those sacraments um, makes all the difference. And when you receive your sacraments, baptism, reconciliation, First Communion, or Eucharist, confirmation, matrimony or holy orders, and anointing of the sick. Right. Okay. Good job. <laughs> this is a catechetical show. That's right. Um, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm in communion. I'm in unity with Christ and his church, with Christ through his church. I'm My body is part of his body through these sacraments. These, these sacraments are transforming my body, my soul body composite. Right. In a real way, and I'm especially in the case of, you know, baptism is removing original sin. The Eucharist is little by little transforming me more into Christ. It's helping to divinize me. That's you know the the early fathers of the church talked a lot about that. That Christ became man so that man could become. God, right? Right, and and probably understood that freaks people out, but it but it is indeed true. Right, it's a he like Saint Peter says, we become partakers in the divine nature. Yeah, it's not another nature, like because there are some heresies out there that that say we become gods, so to speak, like in and of ourselves. We become partakers. No, of that's the Mormonism. One, right, the the <laughs> one the one we become partakers of the one divine nature and actually share in that because God gives it to us to right. share in. Right. And even in this life, we have seeds of that available to us in and through the grace that God gives to us. It's not just when we get to heaven. There it's perfectly. There, <laughs> there it's fully to get to heaven. But even here, we have the ability to unite ourselves with the divine, mm-hmm. the one true God, not become a God, but become a partaker in his divine nature, therefore become divinized because God has shared himself with us right. in a very real way. So on one one thought I had in applying this to family life and parenting, and I, and I want to get your, your thoughts on this, Trey, is, is there a way to take kind of um, what we do in our families, little um, rituals or traditions, um, habits of mind, just the culture of our families, can we see that as maybe a typology of the sacramental system that we're raising our children in? And kind of raising them to see a parallel between these are some of the, this is like the system of the way we live as Catholic Cassians or Catholic Romanskis. And if being a part of the family, being in union with the family is being partakers in all these in, in this like array of traditions and habits and and such, and that that's that's a way of paralleling what what it is to partake in the sacramental system of of the church. What do you what do you think about that? Well, I, th- I think, and I'm, hopefully, I'll answer it. The I'll get at the heart of what you're saying. I hope the the I think the answer is yes, we can, and the and we're in fact not only can we. We have to instill in our children this understanding that there's a connection between 
the invisible reality of God's presence, of the presence of the angels, of whomever, that that is connected, not distinct from, to what we do and how we live every day. And I think that it's like pitching the pennies that I've, we've talked about. It's, it's small things. I mean, just saying prayers in the morning or before we eat, you know, eating is a great time because because what you're 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 there doing a couple things. You're acknowledging somebody who is not visibly present <laughs> by by addressing God. You're thanking him for something that you are about to partake of, something that is substantial in the in the way that this world sees it, something that we can pick up, put in our mouth, chew and enjoy that in and of itself as long as it's not doesn't become just ritual ritualistic without really acknowledging okay we're really engaging god here who by his grace and are cooperating with his grace being able to find a job has provo- you know have a job whatever it is that's helped us provide for the food but he is the reason for that and our cooperation with that is why we can sit here and have this meal together i don't think you have to get into that but i think get into that depth maybe with with a young kid but i but i do think if done properly and if every once in a while at least explained a little bit that we are in that moment in a house bringing together those things which this world wants to separate right we're bringing together the very practical the very real we have to eat thank you lord for providing for the food um thank you lord for providing for the job thank you lord for providing for the 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 check thank you lord for providing for the family that we're all here together for the table for the roof all of that um is the beginning of making that connection. The other thing is, is I think the, the sacraments themselves are a great venue, a great way, probably the best way to help our kids understand that there's this unbelievably, almost ridiculous, <laughs> overwhelming radical. We don't need any of these false things. This is radical. God makes himself present to us in and through the sacraments and in and through the Eucharist. We should have that level of excitement. Our kids should know. And we, sh- if we don't have it, read. Stephanie's going through the, the mass, the biblical roots of the mass by Edward Sree with a group of people. And it's been transformative to her. She's like, this is unbelievable. It's a small book, not an easy book, <laughs> but certainly easy enough. But go get a book like that and read it. We're reading it bit by bit with our kids that are teenagers now. You know, we're asking for them to set aside a night, but, you know, maybe an hour of us together and sitting down and reading through something that helps us understand the radical belief that we have. We don't need to dumb down what we believe. We've done plenty of that. And that's why we have people who go to Mass and go through the motions because they don't realize it's it's sad. It's sad that God has provided something to us that should be overwhelming, should be awe-inspiring, should be that and so like I you know like I tell the kids you know they you know there are moments in mass not only say this if you're struggling in the mass but do something with it I believe help my unbelief that's a re- that's a great prayer it's it's scriptural it's right out of the bible I believe that you say you were here present body blood soul and divinity and what looks like a piece of bread and in what looks like some wine, I believe that. Help what part of me doesn't believe it fully. 
because if I believed it fully, there you would never miss mass. I mean, you. I mean, not not purposely. Not like I've got better things to do, because God Himself is there. We have to raise our kids to understand that in the sacrament, that when they hear, "I absolve you of your sins," from the priest, that you are hearing Christ say that to you. It is indeed Him being made present in and through the priest and the the sacrament of holy orders that He's received that we as a family are meant to be signs of this world of, of Christ, signs of his church. And I think it's funny, like he, he makes the mention that they like to say Christ and, and we like to say church. Again, like the body, we as Catholics don't make a distinction because neither does Jesus. When, he not, when, Saul, when Saul's on the way to kill, why are you persecuting Why are you persecuting me? me? And he says, who are you? Why? Because he's never done anything to Jesus, to Christ himself. Christ is the one that unites himself with his church and doesn't just say, it's like my church, like the followers that come. It's me. So for us, we're not saying it's not Christ, it's the church. When we say it's the church, it is the Christ, it is Christ. And when we say it's Christ, it is the church. Just like when we say it's our soul and our body, we're we're we're, we're not disconnecting those things. And I think again, that's at the heart of a misunderstanding. We are not meant to disconnect those things. God in fact came to say it was meant to be a unified whole. And I came to overcome that which comes from people who don't think it's a unified whole. Death is the wages of sin, as St. Paul says. Death is not a good thing. It's a bad thing. But I've overcome it, is what Jesus says. Yeah. And how has he overcome it? Not by just saying you're going to live forever, but by saying I'm going to unify you together. You as a human being are going to be reunited with that matter when God the Father determines to send me back. And when I come back, you're going to be resurrected. We are going to be able to recognize we may look different, better. I don't know what we're going to look like, but it is going to be us. And we're going to be able to hug. I mean, think about that. I mean, we're going to be able to hug, you know, my grandfather who I miss, (laughs) my mom who I miss. I'm going to be able to hug her at that point. That's why it's so important that we all get to heaven (laughs) because that's what God made us to be, and he came back and rescued us from that. He purchased us back, but it requires that we do something, which is what Matthew 25 says. It requires that we cooperate with what he's done, that we not only recognize it, but that we do something with it. And everything that we do is only possible by God's grace. We're not doing this on our own as something separate again. If we do anything good, it's because God is doing it in us. Yeah. I think that that also brings us back to where um, sometimes you'll hear it said that uh, when, that parents should, should remember that uh, they're doing those corporal works of mercy. They're doing those spiritual works of mercy whenever they do those things for their own children. Right. And sometimes people have a problem with that because it's they see it as a like a cop out to being more um, engaged in helping the poor, helping the marginalized, uh, the refugee, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, societies as we talked about the last two episodes, they depend on strong, functioning, stable, uh, secure, loving families. So it's vital that you have a large proportion of the society that's actually doing those things in the context of a family and that they're making, they're making doing those things in the family the priority. 
Right, and I think and I think that's a really good point because I do think that we tend to, and I, w- I would put myself in that not only currently but certainly at the beginning of my conversion, tend to diminish the family. The family I've, I've talked about before, you know, we want to do great things, so, but the family gets in the way. The kid gets sick. The the wife needs help. The, yeah. You know, and that's I mean, a every lie. Every day you're fighting that. That's battle a, that's with a lie. So I remember, I remember, you know, the que- the same question that was asked that was asked of Jesus, and we said, you know, who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to take care of? Is basically the question. I had a professor who made it. He said, it says it's proximity. It's who am I closest to? Is who God is calling you to now take care of? Right. And who are you more close to? It, it, it just is just an absolute number of minutes. Who do you spend more time with over an eighteen-year period, or a thirty-year period, or fifty-five-year period, or however long you're married? Then your wife and your kids. I mean, if you're not taking care, I think that's why Saint Paul will say, if you know, if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. I think I mean he says that. What is he saying? He's saying, you know, you've got to take care of those God putting your I mean, again, this is a connection. It is not accidental that we have the six kids that we have. It's not accidental that I mean God put them into your in my care. He says by the fact that he's given them to us, you take care of them. They're mine. But I've given to them to you. You are the steward that I'm going to ask at the end. At the end, did you bring it bring it back at least with interest? Right. I mean, Saint. I think it's Saint Robert Bellarmine. It's in. It's in uh, one of the encyclicals, the uh, Cassie Canubi about about Christian marriage, written by I think Pius the Twelfth. Maybe I don't remember exactly, but. He goes to those things, and beyond that, he also quotes in that one about the fact that that marriage is similar to the Eucharist in the fact that it's not it does happen in a moment. The consecration happens in a moment. The marriage becomes valid and indissoluble if done correctly in a moment, but it lasts. For as long as the two shall live, it lasts as long as that consecrated, what looks like a piece of bread, which is indeed Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity, as long as it is in that place, he is present. Same thing with us. He is present in us and through us. And I I just think that we have to, as parents, believe and God has provided so many things to help our unbelief, but dive into the radicalness of what it means to be a Catholic. And don't, don't be afraid to push, not push the envelope in terms of, you can't push the envelope of God became man. You can't push the envelope that what looks like a piece of bread is Jesus. I'm saying do not water it down in teaching it to your kids. Give them the fullness of the truth and don't back down and where you have struggles be honest with your children say that but then be honest with God and say I'm going to find it out because I believe but I want you to help my unbelief we as parents have got to take that seriously and we have got to give it to our kids the fullness of it God handles the rest okay you're not you're not in charge of the results what you're in charge of is being a steward and giving them what's required. So what I say to those, and I would include myself, that say, like you said, that we're watering down the gospel if we're saying that that really the best way to live out Matthew 25 is by feeding, clothing, taking care of, comforting your own children is somehow a cop-out. I say in my great theology, <laughs> to that it's not that's exactly where predominantly we're going to be called 
that doesn't mean that we do it to the exclusion and kind of cocoon ourselves and say we're not. There may be people that God brings to you as a family that you're supposed to be a part of and supposed to help, but never to the detriment of providing those things for your own children. Right. And and I think in the same way, Catholicism encourages you to say if if you say you are a a believer in Christ, it encourages you to stop what you're doing, stop whatever whatever the priority priorities are of your life or the demands are of your life, stop them once every week, put everything else aside, and in a real way, with your body, get up from where you are and go to church and worship him put everything put everything outside of your mind your heart except worshiping and giving thanks to him and taking him into your very self i mean that is that's another that's again that's a radical way of following christ that that's as radical as the path of of a missionary you might say because or maybe even more you might say because a missionary has is dedicating their whole life to um, going to some other place and and serving the gospel. That's a radical decision. But in some ways, isn't it just as radical for someone who's uh, works in an office building and has a family to to make the decision uh, once a week to askew uh, mowing the lawn a real responsibility and take that time and dedicate it to worshiping God. Right. Absolutely. I think, I think that that's an odd way of, maybe that's a weird way of looking at it. No, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think it's a weird way of, I think it's just speaks to the radicalness that we should, we should, if we, if we don't, if you don't have that feeling, I beg you to, first of all, pray, beg God to, Open your eyes to what's going on. Just that's the the starting point. <laughs> Lord, help me to see. I want to see what these crazy people on the radio are telling me. All right, I want my children to see what these crazy people are telling me. I don't see it. I don't get it. That's a honest prayer. I think every parent should pray that, and then pray that your children at the same time are that. But then you have to follow that up with the promptings. Does somebody ask you, well, "Hey, would you go to this? Would you like to go to this Bible study?" Or does something pop up on your, you know, in your email from Catholic Answers? Or do you turn on the radio and hear something? Have the antennas up to recognize. I was told by a Baptist friend, "Look, when you pray for something, expect an answer, but don't expect it in the way, shape, or form that you think it's coming. Be looking for it everywhere." I think that's a reasonable way. It's also a way to live an exciting life. I pray for something that I know God wants to give me. I I guarantee if you pray that prayer, he wants to do that for you. But open your eyes and then walk through the door that he asks you to walk, that he provides, whatever that is. It may be a friend saying, hey, I'm in this Bible study. It may be I turn and flip through the radio and it ends up on Catholic Answers. It doesn't, but be looking. Don't don't, again, it's bring the prayer into your life, not just the prayer, but expect the prayer to be answered. You know, I'd like to pray for me. I don't expect that prayer to be answered, but I can expect if if I say, Lord, I want to know you more. Lord, I want to see you more. He's going to, he wants to answer that, but he's probably not going to answer it exactly the way that you think. But he will answer it. So I think the, you know, kind of the elephant in the room of this article. And we have just a few minutes, so we'll just address it real quickly. Is this this controversy about uh, communion for divorced and remarried Catholics and for Protestant spouses? Wow, and yeah. I think when you when you can see, I hope that you can see after the conversation that we've had that why that's not possible because communion in the Catholic context is not primarily about our fellowship with one another 
alone. It's about our union with Christ, our union with Christ and his church. And if you're not in visible um, union with the teachings and the doctrines of his church, then communion is a lie. Right, and 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 it's not it's not that we're that that a person who receives communion in the state of grace considers himself to be some sort of saintly person. It's that they recognize and will go to confession because they recognize that they have broken the laws. They recognize the church's teaching what Jesus says as that's the standard, and I am a sinner. And yes, I am receiving communion and becoming one with Christ as a sinner, but I'm recognizing fully the ways that I violated that which his church, which like we've already talked about, is him himself, is saying this is it. We don't have time to talk because we're drawn to a close here, yeah. but but this points to the problem, though, that, that is for another discussion, which is how do we welcome and how do we extend a welcome without watering down the truth without watering down love how do we love in truth in a world that likes to disconnect and we don't have time to talk about that but i would say uh, for the verse um i would do ephesians 3 um let's say 9 that that paul says that his job is to make all men see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in god who created all things and so anyway um Pray, parent with a purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you, and he will. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to this local production of Red Sea Catholic Radio. Tune in next week at the same time to hear Trey and Stephanie Cashin share more on the mystery of parenthood.